0: When I was an Army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. I'm glad you're here. I hope something you hear today encourages you.
1: Pit, and i saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darker the smoke from the shaft and from the smoke came locusts upon the earth they were given authority The authority of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to damage the grass of the earth or any green growth or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torture them for five months, but not to kill them, and their torture was like the torture of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will Will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance the locusts were like horses equipped for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, their teeth like lions' teeth. They had scales like iron breastplates, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails like scorpions with stingers, and in their tails is their power to harm people for five months. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name, his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. There are still two woes to come. The word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. The fifth trumpet has been blown. The star has fallen from uh, heaven to earth. And there's this key given to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Um, in this kind of literature that Revelation is the genre of literature, apocalyptic, we do look to the Old Testament prophets for guidance. That this world beyond the world, this veil of reality that we perceive every day, uh, is a thin veil and behind it is ultimate reality. Uh, the ancient philosophers of Greece, or Athens really, and probably some other places, held this view that uh, the reason you can recognize a a tree is because um, there's a treeness to trees, that all the trees of the world have a certain kind of treeness that you can recognize. Even if you walk in the forest that you've never been to before and you see a tree, you know what it is because it looks like the other trees you've seen. But more than just that, um, it looks like the ultimate tree that exists in the heavenly world, that up in heaven with God, there is a tree and it's the perfect tree. It has all the treeness in it. And so when you see a tree in a new forest, you recognize it, not just because you've seen other trees, but because somewhere in your heart and mind is this perfect form of the perfect tree in heaven. Um And that tree illustration is kind of, you know, simplistic, maybe, and overly simplistic, but it's true for other things as well. When you feel loved, uh, when when we feel love and we feel cared for and appreciated, we um, we are feeling that true form of love that we know from heaven. um, That does conform to other loves that we've experienced on this earth, but it ultimately goes back to that to God's love. And the ancient Greek philosophers wrote a lot about this and made a big deal out of it. Um, but ultimately, these ideas come into Christianity. And in, uh, not just here in, in the book of Revelation, but all throughout the Bible, there is this overwhelming emphasis that the unseen world is very real in the way that we think of reality, not in the way of just our imaginations or, um, but but existing in another dimension that we really can't participate in very much. This is why C.S. Lewis says in his Screwtape Letters, uh, a book about how people interact with demons, or whatever they are, Um, it's a silly book. It's meant to be comedy, but it's ultimately very practical and true. He says there's two errors people get into. One is not believing in demons, and the other is believing in in them too much. And um, between those two extremes, uh, Christianity exists. Knowing that the Bible which is our main source of revelation when it comes to these things. Uh, it doesn't tell us all the details of everything, and we exist in this world, having to deal with things like crossing streets and not getting hit, um, not um, you know, driving in front of trains, being careful when we walk downstairs. You know we have to deal with the very practical realities of, of life: paying the rent, paying the mortgage, getting a job. Things that will uh, have a very big effect on us if we don't do them right. And yet there's this other world that we don't always know a lot about, but is definitely happening around us. Revelation shows us that we are part of a cosmic battle between the forces of God and the forces of evil. Here some of the evil forces are described and named. They have a lot of power. Um, They affect the grass of the earth, these locust-like creatures with scorpion stingers, um, are, are told not to damage the green grass of the earth. Um, again, this concern for the growing world is always a concern in the book of Revelation. Whenever we see the destructions of evil and violence, we see a destruction of what we call nature. Um, People use the word nature all the time in really weird ways. I'm going to go out into nature. Nature is so healing. I feel God when I'm in nature. Um, Last time I checked, this apartment that I am in right now is made entirely from materials from the planet Earth. All of it. It's kind of strange. Is this nature? Am I nature? I'm a living, organic being. This mug that I'm holding with coffee is made out of stone or ceramic, a byproduct of stone. Um, What is nature? What do we mean by that? We mean something that grows in the grass, on the lawn, a forest, a woods, being cold, being hot. (laughs) We mean a lot of different things by this word nature, as if it's something other than our actual reality. But we are nature. We are God's creatures. And any kind of dichotomy between nature and us is usually one that's going to mislead us in really um, ways that harm the natural world around us and in us. We, We are not trying to preserve nature. We are nature. We're trying to preserve ourselves. We are part of this living, breathing planet and world. And so um, whenever the judgment of God falls, there's always concern about the growing things. And we are part of those growing things here on this earth. Um, The difference between a blade of grass and you um, is a big difference when it comes to a lot of things. But ultimately, we are living creatures of God, all of us. We ought to apologize to the plants around us regularly and have a dialogue with them. The book of Jonah that we read a couple of days ago definitely makes that clear. The agent of God, the minister of God, the angel of God, the, the servant of God that the God appoints to minister to Jonah is a plant. And God ordained a bush, it says, to go work with Jonah. Um, We have all these creatures around us that um, talk to us about God. And so this green foliage that the scorpion helicopter things are told not to destroy um, is a concern to God. Our big things with God um, are not that big. And our small things with God are not that small. Um, If you've ever had a child to deal with, And their concerns, the things that bother them, the way their socks don't come completely over their toes and you have to take off their shoes three times and put them back on, it can be kind of frustrating. Um, But ultimately, that's all of us. We have small concerns, big concerns, but all of them are our concerns and God cares about all of them. And so these locusts that are descending from the pit the bottomless pit. There's a metaphor for you, if you will. The bottomless pit. You eat like you go to the smorgasbord and eat like your stomach's a bottomless pit, they used to say to me. Um, what is a bottomless pit? What is that? Um, a hole in the ground that if you drop something into, you could listen for a long time and never hear the pebble crash on the bottom. <clears throat> hard to know. But it's definitely an image, a feeling that is evoked, that there is no bottom. We talk a lot about hitting rock bottom in American life as sort of a wake-up call, which is a metaphor for being at a hotel and then calling you to go to the airport. Uh, Rock bottom being that place where we despair and give up and all the ways we've tried to fix ourselves are exhausted and we are at a loss for knowing what to do. And often that is a place of growth and and uh, even stability because it's the bottom of the pit. But here this bottomless pit doesn't have a bottom. Um, as Lou Harris sang, nobody tells you about the blues when you got them. You keep on falling and there ain't no bottom, she says. That um, there is... Uh, in our sorrow, it does seem like a bottomless pit. And this is the lie of the devil. The devil's lie is that, is that there's a bottomless pit of sorrow. And that you can go into it and never come out. That you just keep on falling and falling and falling. And, um, and that's a lie. That's the, that's, that's the devil's program for us. Is to get us into a place where there seems to be no way out. But with God, there always is. The crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ witnesses to the fact that in every death that seems to be unending, there is new life that comes from it. That there is life after life after death. That death is the most final bottomless pit we ever experience in life. If you've ever been with someone who died, there is that moment of real horror and sadness when we say, where did they go? Are they coming back? And days and weeks and months and years after someone we love dies, we we hear their voice, we see them, we think we want to call them or tell them something, and they're not there. It does seem like a bottomless pit, and yet that is the one place that the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that he became one of us, And he lived and died and rose from the dead. That is the one place that God has declared not to be a bottomless pit. That our death and the death of those we love is not the ultimate end. And people nowadays, often progressive Christians, like to say that, you know, we need to focus on the here and now and not so much on the afterlife and heaven and things like that. And obviously those can be uh, escapisms and, And we can worry about that, that we're not going to focus on real needs of real people here and now. But ultimately, when you're dying or when you're with someone dying, um, the hope of heaven, the hope of being with God, the hope of a new start is actually a really good thing to have. And if you don't have it, um, it it must be a real sadness with despair. There's already enough despair in the world to go around. Christians shouldn't be spreading more of it. We ought to be people that witness to the fact that there is no bottomless pit, that that is a lie of the devil, that ultimately God will triumph even over that. These locusts have are, are warriors. They are there to fight. They have crowns of gold. Their faces are like human faces. Their hair like woman's hair. Their teeth like lion's teeth. They're kind of scary. Um... There's a king over them, and his name is Abaddon. In the Greek, he's called Apollyon. That just means a destroyer. the 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 forces of evil are always more glamorous. They're always more impressive. They're always scarier. They're always. Um, they seem to always have the upper hand, and yet, ultimately, all they do is destroy. All they do is destroy. All they're going to do to you is destroy you. All they're going to do to our loved ones is destroy them. All they're going to do to this planet is destroy this planet. Um, they're always more powerful, seemingly on the surface, and this is what um, the Book of Revelation witnesses to: that evil is real, and it's something that you know is is out there and needs to be dealt with. But ultimately, God will triumph over even this even the worst thing that can be thrown at us, God is more powerful. The forces of God will always triumph. This, um, these very impressive warriors and will be so scary and are so scary. And if you've ever been in a war, or, uh, been in a, around big explosions, or um, you've witnessed the power of destruction, but that is the only power that evil has, just the power to destroy. It doesn't have the power to grow or, or live or make anything alive. It, this power of destruction that is named by Abaddon and Apollyon, both names mean destroyer or destruction, that is the only power they have. The power to grow green grass, the power to grow beautiful plants, that is not a power that evil has. So one of the ways we fight evil in this world is by growing things and tending to things that are growing to the plants around us, to the creatures around us, the furry creatures around us, to the children around us, people that are younger than us. We tend to to them by loving them, by caring for them, by listening to them. We want them to flourish. We want our friends to flourish. We want people we know to flourish because that is the ultimate way to fight evil. The way to fight evil is always a small insignificant, tending to living, growing things. Um, It is not to try to pretend to be as destructive as evil is. That is the only power evil has. And ultimately, God wipes every tear from our eyes after we've been destroyed, um, after we've experienced the destruction that evil brings. There is restoration, there is new hope, there is new growth, and we have to believe that. Because it happened to Jesus. Whatever happened to Jesus is going to happen to us. Um, That he went through this destructive power of evil. He experienced that in his own body on the cross. Witnessing to the fact that that was the worst they could do to him. Whenever you're feeling trapped or scared or feeling like it's all going to be over and ended, you have to remember that that is all they can do to you. That there is a part of you that cannot be destroyed. And that is the part where God lives. That is the part that belongs to God. And nothing anyone can do can stop that. I hope you believe that today because that is what the message of this text is meant to give us. The message is, you cannot be destroyed, ultimately. God will always have your back. That you will be raised up from the dead uh, with Jesus and live forever With him in that kingdom where there is no end and there is no bottomless pit either. There is just an open sky that goes on forever with God in this long, long journey that we have with God. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Save your people, Lord, and bless your inheritance. Govern and uphold them now and always. Day by day, we bless you. We praise your name forever. Lord, keep us from all sin today. Have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy. Lord, show us your love and mercy. For we put our trust in you In you, Lord, is our hope And we shall never hope in vain Prayer O God, you have made of one blood All the peoples of the earth And sent your blessed Son to preach peace To those who are far off and those who are near Grant the people everywhere May seek after you and find you Bring the nations into your fold, pour out your Spirit upon all flesh, and hasten the coming of your kingdom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.